In today's episode, I'm sitting down with someone you may recognize as one of the most influential businesswomen in the beauty industry. It's Mona Katan, and she's the founder of Kayali Fragrances and co-founder of Huda Beauty. And Mona is a true beauty trendsetter, so I cannot wait for our conversation today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success, and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern health wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Main has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other through what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest for today, Mona Katan. So you may already recognize her as the founder of the luxury niche fragrance brand, KLE Fragrances, and the co-founder of Huda Beauty, but I can tell you Mona is an all-around powerhouse. She's a former investment banker and an owner of a beauty salon, and a few years ago had encouraged her sister Huda to create a line of products that would go on to become a best-selling global brand. She's now the global president of Huda Beauty and went on to launch its first sub-brand, Kayeli, in 2018, designing its debut collection of four incredible scents that pay homage to both her Middle Eastern heritage and upbringing in the U.S., I love that Mona has not only influenced the growth of perfume layering culture in the West, but has also reconnected with the roots with intention. And I can already see we have so much in common from our love of fragrances and rituals to pivoting careers into this crazy world of entrepreneurship. So Mona, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Akash, for having me. It's such an honor to be speaking to you and to be on your podcast. I love what you do. I love your brand. I think we have so much in common. Um, and I love what you're doing, just, you know, sharing people's stories, helping entrepreneurs and even inspiring entrepreneurs to try to find their way. So kudos to you and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, now I'm, I'm blushing. I need to like get back into my mojo <laughs> interview style. <laughs> um, but Mona, so I ask all my guests the same question and I'm going to ask you, who in a nutshell is Mona? In a nutshell, I like to ramble, so please stop me if I go on too much. Go for it, please. I would say in a nutshell, I'm a very passionate person who's extremely sensitive, very emotional, very creative, but also very curious. I'm a nerd. I'm a lover. I love love giving people love, and um, I love helping people, and I'm just super hungry. For everything. Yeah. (laughs) Learning is the best gift. You know, it's the best fuel in life. And we can always learn every single day. Um, So I want to start a little bit at the beginning, your childhood, baby Mona. Um, (laughs) I I know you were born and raised up in in a family, quite a big family, three sisters and a brother. Um, And I would love to know a little bit about those early memories of beauty growing up in a big household. Sure. Um, It was definitely very interesting. You know, um, my mom is actually not very into beauty. She's like an extremely traditional, simple woman. And because my parents moved from Iraq to the U.S., 
she was also struggling just like with keeping up with taking care of the children on her own and everything. So she did the bare minimum. But for us, she got me into the beauty pageants at the age of three. (laughs) So from three to seven, I was in, I think, around nine to to 11 pageants, like different categories. Like some of them were more serious than others. Like some of them were kind of um, the simple ones. But I was a pageant princess as a kid. So I think from just going through that experience that started the obsession, both Huda and myself, and I think it just never left me, like getting dolled up, putting on a little bit of makeup back then because we were still very young, but doing your hair, putting on these pretty dresses, getting super glam, taking photos. Like, you know, if you do that from the age of three to seven, it's never going to leave you. It's like it was a part of my forming years. So for me, it's all about, you know, feeling the best version of yourself and having fun. I have to ask, I mean, I know you were three to seven, so probably at that time it was just a way of living, not really kind of absorbing that many like traits that would be used for your later life. But were there any traits now looking back that have helped you in entrepreneurship from pageantry as a young child? Probably diplomacy. Yeah, true. (laughs) Very important. Like very poised, presentable, um, like just very like almost staged. So I think from that respect, just being presentable, it was something that I learned and it never left me. I do think there was like quite a few pros, but I think there was also a lot of cons. And if I'm honest, if I ever have children in the future, I would never put them in pageants. I think it's like, there's a lot more negative than positive. I think, you know, just becoming obsessed with perfectionism, which doesn't exist is not a good thing. And I think as a kid, I think because of the pageants and because you're kind of being taught to almost put on this show, you almost forget who you are. So I've had to unlearn a lot of that. (laughs) So yeah, there's pros and minuses, but um, you know, you are, you are who you are and you've gone through what you've gone through for a reason. So who knows? (laughs) I love that mindset, but I think it's also very kind of comforting to know the honesty of like, you know, there isn't, it's not always as what people perceive and um, you have to acknowledge that. And especially in today's world where let's be honest with social media and stuff, we're all yearning for like more and more real, if I could say, right. That's what we're trying to be. And it's kind of odd because real is authentically who we are, but we have to learn how to be more authentically us because of this world we live in. So more things like pageantries that can be kind of removed from young age will probably be healthier in this very fast uh, and, uh, or or change the system, right? The way we do it. I think that there's always a way to evolve things and um, to make it a bit more Completely. I agree. I think like if you're going to do competitions for younger kids, like it definitely needs to change. Mm. Um, Make it more about like putting in your passion and like trying hard, you know, like just to encourage people to give it, they're all, but like judging people based on looks and stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't <laughs> agree more. And then I, what I love is cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a math geek. I'm an engineer, do my puzzles and you did finance. I think we have some connection there for sure. And you went into investment banking. Tell us about that period. Growing up, I always wanted to either do something really creative, like fashion. Like I was obsessed with fashion. I wanted to be a designer Um, or I wanted to be a doctor. So like two very different extremes. And I think part of it is like my love for creativity and then being a doctor, helping people. Like I just always want to try and help people. Um, But where I was studying at the time um, was the same university where my father was a professor. So there were, there were neither options. So I didn't have fashion available. I didn't have being a doctor available. So I was limited. So I didn't want to leave because I'm a daddy's girl and I'm like, 
I've never left his side my entire life. So I had a very few amounts of options. And the one my father, my father actually chose my career. He was like, you've, you've got to do finance. He was like, you know, this is the future. And this was like, you know, pre the recession. So at the time it was like a super secure career. And um, my father just wanted to try and guarantee me some sort of form of security because my dad grew up very um, opposite to to myself. He didn't take a lot of risk. He came from a family where, you know, he was only able to study because of the scholarships he got. So for him, it's always like educate yourself, get that security and find a very safe job. So both studying finance and even my career in investment banking was his guidance. Um, and I did it for him, to be honest. And I'm happy I did because it gave me so many great tools that I feel like really, really helped me out. And I think if I didn't study finance, I don't think I would be where I am. And if I didn't have that short period in banking, I definitely wouldn't be here because I mastered Excel sheets. I mastered like financial models, analyzing, you know, financial statements, like those things are so helpful. So I'm definitely so grateful that he pushed me in that direction, but I knew three months in, I knew it wasn't for me and I just kept going for him. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I can relate as well. I, I think like it's, it's hard for a lot of people, um, especially something like a, a university degree or when it's a couple of years, when you already know, um, do you decide to change or continue? Or I think if you have this like deeper uh, inspirational reason to be, it can help you just push through. And then ultimately it will all make sense for some reason, right? It's yeah. hard to see. But what's important is to know if you know in your heart something is when then next to pivot and try something else because some people get stuck in that cycle and then just stay yeah. in that industry when they never were passionate. And I think it's important. Like I, I'm an engineer. I, I, I knew from three months in, it wasn't for me. I still finished four years. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm working at Estee Lauder and doing social media unpaid intern. All my friends were in six figure finance jobs and it was okay because it was not my path, you know? Yeah. I love that. And good for you for getting out after four years, because I feel like the longer you wait, the harder it is. Like I left only shortly after a year, I waited a little bit longer than a year to give in my resignation. But I think had I waited four years, maybe I wouldn't have because of things like the salaries that you got, like I was on an entry level salary. So it was easy to say goodbye, you know? Um, But I, I know a lot of people who, you know, they're a lot further on in their career and it's just like, they can't, they're scared to give it up. Yeah, I had to. And I think it was ultimately mentally as well. I had to at that time too, because there is a real clear correlation. If you're not passionate about something, the work eventually that you put in starts dwindling. The success you have starts dwindling because that passion is this kind of like energy that cannot be, um, you know, made. It can only be transformed in different ways. But ultimately I was transforming that energy into other areas that were just not productive to my work, like going maybe out you know, doing my hobbies or whatever. But I, I needed to put it back into some balance of work as well because you need to make a living and I need to be passionate in my work. So, yeah. It was hard. It was hard. But I would love to know a little bit about then when you started that pivot from finance and then you started working in beauty. What was those first years like working you know, with, with your sister and family? So originally when I first resigned, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and I started doing PR at first. It was just me and a friend. Um, we were basically self-employed. Um, we created a agency um, called Mastermind Consultants, Mastermind PR. 
Sorry. And um, we were just doing PR for anybody who would agree to work with us. And a lot of it was like for free. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, we were just like, well, you just let us do your PR. Um, you know, some people paid very small amounts and like we just, I was just making enough to cover my expenses barely, you know, um, but it was for about two, three years I was doing that. And it got better with time and we started um, to become more recognized. And um, I started working with more international brands, which was amazing. But um, I just also knew that I always wanted to create my own business. You know, I love business. And um, I know an agency is a form of a business, but we never got there, you know, and maybe because I was inexperienced at the time where I didn't start investing in building out a team and, and really understand like the value of hiring people. Um, but at that time, a friend approached me actually, and she was like, um, she knew I wanted to start a beauty salon. And I originally was supposed to start one with Huda and um, two other sisters that we knew, but it just never moved. And then one day another friend approached me and I was like, you know what, it's, it hasn't really gone anywhere with them. So maybe we should look into this and work it out. And we ended up opening up a salon together. Um, and it was my first venture into like a real business where it required quite a big capital investment, um, you know, and, and building out a team. Like it's the first time I actually had my own employees and everything. So it was a great experience and it taught me so much. And it was super rewarding because I love making people feel amazing. And I do think that beauty, like going to a salon, like when you go in and when you leave, like there's no better feeling than getting your hair washed and blow dried, getting your nails done. Like it just makes you feel so good. So it was super rewarding. But um, it was shortly after that I, I was like, you know what? It's actually not that hard to start a business. Um, it isn't. You know, I think yeah. continuing and making it grow is hard, but starting is actually not that challenging. So I approached Huda and I was like, you know what? She was doing makeup at the time. And um, a lot of my friends were her clients and they would always come up to me and they'd say like, where can we get Huda's lashes? They're so amazing. They're the best, you know? And Huda was actually cutting lashes together to make her own. Like she would cut some and combine them and everything. And I was like, I kept, I kept hearing this question, like, where can I get them? And I had an epiphany one day because I was always telling them, sorry, you can't get them. She makes them. And I was like, it can't be that hard. Like, I'm sure there's a way to make them. So I, I approached her and I was like, how would you feel if we, you know, if you created a lash brand, you know, for you? And she was like, absolutely. I love it. She's like, if you can find the suppliers, you can help with certain things like from the business side, let's do it. So we looked and I, I researched online we found our supplier. We uh, begged Sephora for a long time to take a bet and launch the brand. And luckily they did. You know, Huda had her blog at the time too. So luckily she already had that weight. Um, this was when blogging days were big. <laughs> so she had HudaBeauty.com at the time, which was just a blog. And um, she already had a pretty strong community. So it was a little bit easier to get them to take a bet. And also Sephora was still new to the region at the time. So it wasn't as hard to get them to try because they wanted to find a way to compete. So I think it was timing. You know, a lot of things were um, very different to today. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. And of course, it's been a very long journey. That was, we launched over 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago is when we launched yeah. February, 2013. And yeah, it's tough. Ah. You know, working with family is oh, I know the best. <laughs> I know <worst> thing. <laughs> the best, and it can be tough at times, but usually it's the best. Let's always tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's been a crazy journey. And um, you know, now to be super honest, like my main focus is Kayali. It's been yeah my main focus for the past three years. Like I guess ever since COVID, it was like 
when I just kind of put my head down and I was like, if I want this brand to really succeed, I need to kind of go tunnel vision and on it and go full throttle. So I have been doing that since 2020. And, um, that's, it's my baby. You know, I love, I love fragrances. I always have. And, um, it's been an incredible journey hard, of course, like the first few years were not easy and it wasn't doing well, you know, um, but it took time to really figure out the flow and, and figure out what to try to, how to make things really different and get people to understand where I was coming from, you know? hundred percent. And and I'm really glad you're focusing on it because I can tell you like, so my background, my dad is 40 years in fragrance. So, um, fragrance was the thing I grew up with. I I didn't end up going into the industry because I probably was fed up with it, seeing my dad every day growing up, but he built like Ariana Grande fragrance he made and all these big projects, big brands he's done. Um, and I can tell you, as a, someone who knows a thing or two about perfume, what you're doing with Kayali is incredible. And I think it just needs pure nurturement because you've got something so special. But I love the fact that you're honest, that wasn't easy at the beginning because it, sometimes, you know, it does take time. You can't have overnight success from day one. And I think it's important to, to know that this is not a long-term, so this is not a short-term thing. This is a long-term, you know, game yeah. when you go into super business. cool about your dad we have to talk more about yeah. that later talk, yeah whenever yeah he does he, that's his this his thing and and wow. you know what was interesting for me is you know, he has being a person of color you know he was 40 years ago the first like person of color in all these big meetings with the ceos of all these like Coty, l'oreal Pooch, and it was always like they were always like why is my why is this indian guy there <laughs> and i was always like so inspired and that kind of what inspired me to go in the beauty industry because i thought my dad has done it in an industry that often doesn't speak to people like me. Um, I, I thought, well, there's, he did it. And in the time when it was the hardest, I have no excuse. And, you know, the reason for me was that there was no South Asian hair brand in Sephora or anything like that. And I was like, is there a reason why? Do they never want it? And I thought, well, no, like my dad did, just be the first and then not be the last, you know, keep on moving. Oh, I love that so much. That's- Amazing. Well, no, what you've built, obviously the learnings you've done during the, the time focusing on building Huda Beauty, but then also now with KL is incredible. I will say a fun story. When I worked, I used to work at Dior in the head office for many years. My CEO, who's like one of my best friends, um, he he's no longer the CEO now. He was obsessed with Huda Beauty that, you know, even on his like private burner Instagram account, only for like 10 people. I was one oh like, and you, I think you were, you and Huda, like with the two people. And in every Dior meeting, it would always bring up like Huda Beauty. Like we need to look at this is amazing. And we were like, it's not like the stick and stone benchmark for Dior compared to the Chanel YSL, but he was just amazed and inspired with what you guys have built. So I don't know if you ever heard that story, but it's something to know that. I you, he was, um, I think more of a fan than like a Dior thing. He was just like, he was just loving what you guys have done. And ever since then, you know, when your first big main boss, the biggest CEO is telling you something, I started like looking deeper into it and I was like, and then I, I understood his like why he was obsessed with Huda Beauty. So when I then saw Kay Ali was launching with you, I was so excited and um, I want to now ask sort of how it all started. Sure. And thank you so much. That means so much to me. And it's such a huge honor. I had no idea. That's very like incredible to hear. Um, For Kayali, it's been a very interesting journey. Like I originally wanted to start a fragrance brand before we even launched Huda Beauty, before I even had my salon. I actually have decks and samples from 2011 
um, because I've just been obsessed. And that was the one thing I wanted to create more than anything. It's just like everybody kind of told me I needed more money. I met with investors. It didn't work out. And they kind of like made me feel like it was too much of an undertaking to start from like a very scrappy way. So that's why it took so long, you know, and that's why I didn't launch back in 2011. Of course, I think I could have done it then, but in a very different way, probably, you know, stock packaging and like, it would be a very different brand. And I'm actually really happy it was delayed because I think what it evolved into by the time it finally launched is something that I can say I'm super proud of. And it's very global where maybe if I launched back then and also just looking at the decks I had from back then, they were kind of a little bit more regional, um, which is not a bad thing at all, but it, it wouldn't be like solving what I'm trying to solve, which is making Middle Eastern fragrances more global. Exactly. I and mean, if you so, look at um, today, like regional is now global everywhere in a way, right? It's, yeah. it's, you look at Sephora Middle East, it's a very different landscape than 10 years ago. Yeah. And so you need to think. Very about true. It. Yeah, absolutely. So it took quite a long journey. Um, and it wasn't until 2017, which I started working on the actual concept of Kaeli, um, working with Firmanish, um, and just kind of like doing things at a more high level because before I was working with just like the most random suppliers that would entertain me because I had nothing to like stand on, you know? So it was like low, lower standards, not very professional. And it was very messy by the time it was 2017, like, you know, it opened up a lot of doors, just having that success with Huda Beauty. So it helped me reach really great caliber partners. So Firmanish being our fragrance house, um, some of the best in class suppliers for like our packaging, our bottles, um, and also just having the capital to invest and in creating a brand at this level. It was, you know, it did require a lot of investment, um, but luckily we were at a stage where we could take the risk. We also had just closed our investors bef- like a year before we launched. Um, so we just felt like we had a lot more confidence to, to try and take this risk. Um, but it's been a crazy journey. And we know when we first started, we launched with four fragrances. I did not know what I was doing at all. Like I have to be honest, like from, from a marketing perspective, I think from a fragrance perspective, the juices were beautiful. Um, I think, I mean, I love them, but from a marketing perspective, I was clueless. And I thought that launching things the way we launched Huda Beauty would work. And it doesn't like, it just does not like you can't launch a fragrance the way you'd launch a color cosmetic and think it's going to work. I did. And I was wrong. And, and yeah, for actually, you know, the first few years, there was a time like where the company just thought about shutting it down and they're like, it's just not working. It's not really worth our opportunity risk. It's not really worth taking attention off of, you know, the, the bigger fish and like what is actually working. So it wasn't until lockdown where I think a lot of us had a lot of time for reflection and I did personally. And I was just like, you know what? It's now or nothing. Like it's either I have to do this full throttle myself on my own and put everything into it, or we just have to shut it down. Um, Also because when we first launched, I forgot to mention, I was like very codependent before. So like I would force her to do everything with me. Because I was just like, I never did anything on my own. Like every business I had in the past, any venture I ever tried, I'd always get a partner. Like I was always trying to find someone to do it together. So after, um, it was the end of 2019 when I started my therapy journey and I realized like, ooh, like I didn't realize I was that codependent. Um, And then I just, I I was like, you know what, I'm going to be an individual. I'm going to do this. It's my dream. I shouldn't be forcing it on anybody else. 
And it, it helped. It helped it ta- start to take off faster. It didn't take off fast. It still took a lot of yeah. time. I'd say, you know, early 2020, it wasn't really, it didn't really start to take off till mid 2021. So it was like a good 18 months of like really working hard, trying everything and anything that I could possibly think of to try and see what would make things move a bit more. Um, and also, you know, COVID, like COVID did help the entire yeah. fragrance category. So it's like timing again, like you just never know. Sometimes things are meant to help you out. Sometimes they're not like time can be on your side and sometimes it can not be on your side. But, you know, I think in the end of the day, like stars always align for what you're meant to be doing. And I feel like I am where I'm meant to be right now. Fully agree. And I, and I love all the, 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 the honesty about the launch, because I think a lot many founders say that the truth about, you know, especially when I do, I've done this many times and it's always, sometimes I hear positive, positive, positive. I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to ever say like, was there anything wrong? But like, come on, like we all, like, I don't know. I know that's like a bit of BS. Like I, like we all deal with ups and downs and I think it's every really, day, right? Every <laughs> day. I mean, literally like one day I'm like, woohoo, best sales ever. The next day I'm like, worst sales ever. Oh my God. Are we going to close? Like it's literally. It's a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> literally. And, and also one thing I've noticed, I don't know if you feel the same. I, I started, I need like, not, when when you, you say retail therapy, people think you need to shop more. For me, retail therapy is the other way. Retail therapy is like, I need to like understand that I'm not, like I get days where I'm so like scared of being delisted, but then I get days where I'm not. And I feel like this is the retail landscape. Today is you never feel prioritized or comfortable because there's always change. You might be moved to another area. You might be, you yeah. might get in a moment. And I just think like, surely many other founders feel the same like, bullyish but also like motherly like fatherly love from a retailer because <laughs> I feel like up and down all the time <laughs> so it's yeah it's hard so you know it's cutthroat and like as they it's have cutthroat. to be though right because we also have yeah you know, I understand them their as business well. yeah you know I had a salon before so I had retail space I understand that every inch counts you know so if you're not selling you're taking space of something else that could sell so it's like Mm-hmm. business you know it's the it's the unfortunate part of business is like it has to make sense or it will shut down and then it's even worse right it's like they need to exactly. do what they have to do to survive so it is tough yeah. and like we were also you know in that situation where we were like at a point where retailers were like okay it's like you either got to make this work or we got to pull you as well and mm-hmm. yeah I think I think it, it does happen to everyone and it can also like like you said it's up and down but um, I feel a responsibility to keep it real so people don't give up. You know, it's like we exactly. need to share the the bad stuff, too, because if we don't, then people are going to think that when they go through that rough time, it's only them. But it's like everybody exactly. goes through it. Like even yeah. Elon Musk, Jeff yeah. Bezos, Bill All Gates. The time. The, probably the way most, more than probably you can even imagine. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's and I, and I think also it's about kind of when you do – when you speak about it with such confidence and even some kind of no regret, it makes you realize it's needed those moments, right? Like we need to experience them to learn, to grow, to pivot, to better ourselves. So there's, a, there's, there's good in everything. Um, if you, if you choose to look at it, um, I think that's a really important thing I've realized, um, in my journey. Um, but one thing I want to also say is a little bit to do with the, the fragrance industry. And I want to make it clear because, I think it's important to, to set the landscape because what you guys are doing is incredible, but also having worked for big conglomerates and companies, it's why I really want to tell people listening to, which I probably will get in trouble for my previous jobs, but like you can of course go for the big 
brand that's in every single travel retail and every single retailer. But the reason why they're top of your mind is because their marketing budgets are out of this world, right? They invest millions, 20, 30, 50 millions on a launch, or even on existing launches every year. Retailers are naturally going to be prioritizing them because that's money they're literally putting in the pocket in a way, right? I'll offer you this many samples, this many. And ultimately, I think the power needs to go a little bit back in the consumer to give chances to clean niche upcoming brands that if you have a choice and you're thinking, oh, I love the Sauvage by Dior, but I could also go for another one from a smaller brand that's still well-known, but, you know, has limited distribution, but it's like, it's, I don't know which one to choose. Maybe choose the other one because ultimately maybe it's top of your mind because of the marketing, but I think I'm a bit nervous that, um, if consumerism is continuing in that way, we're going to make it very hard for other industries and certain fragrance, certain haircut brands, whatever, to be seen because they can't compete against the marketing and they shouldn't. We shouldn't be spending that much in a year. That's not sustainable. I don't know what your thoughts are on this thing. I mean, from a fragrance perspective, maybe you have an opinion, but I think in general, this is where I see beauty going. I mean, I personally feel like almost always the more indie brands have the better quality um, ingredients, formulas, for so many reasons. Of course, you need to do your diligence and make sure they're compliant. They're doing enough to make sure that the brand is safe. And that's why I I find buying an indie brand from a trusted retailer like Sephora is the best because they have requirements. So it's like, you know, it's safe. You know, they've done testing. You know, they've checked all the boxes. But I prefer the indie brands because I know that they're spending most of their money on making it different. Because if they don't, they're not going to even survive, you know. And I know as brands grow, you know, unfortunately, as you scale a business, your costs also go up so high. And your your focus on product margin also goes up so high. So it's like they're squeezing the the budgets on the actual product, <laughs> the actual formula. So I'm sure like a brand like yours, you know, it's probably going to have a much better quality ingredient story. It's probably going to be a lot more authentic and like more interesting ingredients than a huge brand that maybe even from a sourcing perspective can't source enough of those interesting materials to service millions of units, you know, so... I personally love indie brands. Um, I find them a lot more interesting. I think they are, I think they are going to take over though. I do think they that are. quickly, yeah. like we have seen them kind of take over, but I think it's just going to keep happening. And in every industry, like before you know it, we're probably going to see indie brand like cars, <laughs> you know, like you just they're going to be, they're gonna, the only thing is I hope is these big strategics don't wish they were buying all these indie brands as, um, and, and rightfully so because you need a partner you need scale but retain that dna what made it special but i think i think they will i think yeah. the talent in these big companies are seeing the value of what made the indie brand so special and they want to keep that they want to nurture that and i feel like the special sauce is the founder who's got an insane yeah. obsession with product brand the purpose, purpose behind everything. the brand you know, it's like without that founder. And that's why you, I, I feel like a lot of brands that do sell, you end up losing the soul of the brand yeah. because nobody cares as much anymore. And like, exactly. I feel like to be the founder of a brand, you have to be like borderline insane about your craft. <laughs> Otherwise it just won't work. Yeah. So it's like, who's going to be that crazy obsessed person with the actual product, not the, 
budget, not the PL. So exactly. yeah, I think um yeah, I think it's it's really important to have that person who's driving it, like such as yourself, you know, um to to keep creating, to keep innovating. And that's the reason for this podcast is why I only have founders on because it's <laughs> Something I want people to, to, to really know is the founder yeah. behind these brands. One thing before we start wrapping up, and I know you have you know, a busy day ahead, I do want to talk about pistachio gelato <laughs> because, Mona, I don't know what you've done, but I've seen it everywhere. I've now somehow, I never really liked pistachio, but I started to crave pistachios after seeing your marketing. <laughs> so like, I don't know. Yeah, just tell us about that launch and why it was so successful. So I actually have it right beside me. <laughs> so um, this launch was very special to to me and our team. I think there's a lot of reasons why it took off. And again, a lot of it was like blessings in disguise. Um, but I'll start with just the inspiration behind the juice. Yum Pistachio Gelato was actually originally called Codename Turkish Delight because I wanted to create something around desserts. Um, because I always got asked like, what is your, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time in interviews, like, what was your happiest moment? And like, it's never been like, oh, I got this award or, oh, I got this achievement. Like never. It's always been like having ice cream with my family, mm-hmm. having a good meal with someone, um, having cake with this person, like a birthday cake. You know, it's like those moments where you're like enjoying something sweet with people you love. So I was like, we have to do something around desserts because desserts make you feel happy. So it was yum, tur- Turkish delight and uh, Turkish delight because I love Arabic um, sweets. You know, I feel like Arabic sweets in general or Middle Eastern sweets, they typically have a lot of really fragrant ingredients like, you know, cardamom, similar to your heritage as well. It's like yeah. beautiful ingredients, saffron, like interesting things. So um, that was what it started as originally. Like every single launch we ever have, it evolved <laughs> very like fast after we start collaborating as a team. So my brand director, Kara, she was like, I really feel like you need to do something around pistachio. And it is also an Arabic ingredient that we use very frequently. Like it's in all of our sweets too. Um, And then she was like, and also every interview I've ever heard you say your last meal would be pistachio gelato. And I was like, true, I forgot. And then it just kind of took a, took a journey into that direction. So we worked with um, Olivier Cresp. I don't know if you know of him, but he's a a master perfumer and he's um, called the father of gourmand fragrances because he, he created Angel by Terry Mugler. So it was like the first gourmand fragrance in modern perfumery. Um, so we worked with him and his son, Sebastian, on this fragrance. And we wanted to create something really fun, really playful, very unique. Um, I didn't think it was going to take off as much as it did. You know, it is our number two best-selling fragrance now after Vanilla 28. But I think that there was a few things. Number one, it got leaked. <laughs> it got leaked three months in advance which is insane. So we actually have this issue with almost every single lunch where people will steal our products from our three PLs or logistics centers. And I think it's from them. I don't know where they're stealing them from. They're somewhere like it could be our filler. It could be somewhere, you know, but um, they're stolen goods. They're sold on these dodgy websites. And then people start talking about it on social. So it first showed up uh, in January, which was three months before our launch, which is, crazy. And I had a nervous breakdown. I was like, Oh my God, they're going to destroy the entire launch. Like our campaign. Cause we like to build up the launch on social, the reveal. And I, we were all panicking, but I think it actually 
did actually add to the launch, you know, and it's funny because a lot of people on social were saying, did they plan this? And I was like, I wish I did. I wish I was that smart <laughs> to like plan it. But um, no, it's just it's something that happened. So I think that helped. Oh. But it was also the first time as a brand that we invested in a tour. So we did a, a Europe tour. We went to the UK, we went to Paris, we went to LA. And because we were we were very small and we're still small in comparison to Huda Beauty, in terms of like the size of the business. So we've never been able to invest that kind of, you know, resource and planning those kind of marketing events. So it's the first time we did that and it did, it did, you know, um, make an impact on the sales. So we are happy to see that it actually worked and we're hoping we can do it maybe once a year. So it's a lot of learnings, lots of emotional roller coasters, but we're so happy with this launch. Now I I can tell you, you should be so proud. And and I think again, it's great to see, just see the business evolving and starting to take new kind of learnings from everything you do. And then next launch, you'll do some things you did with this launch and some things you won't. And that's normal, right? Just keep on building. Yeah. Now I'm like, I hope it gets late. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) No. And the crazy thing is, is you you cannot even, it's like being viral, like being leaked, but you can't control it. You can't no, force it. Otherwise it will not. definitely look inauthentic. But yeah. it is such a, I'm going to, if anything that happens like that, I'm going to be like, it's fine. Look at Mona's success with pistachio, yum pistachio and gelato. It's exactly. Fine. Yeah. You never like know. You're like some things that you think are working against you, they end up being in your favor. Like you just have to be patient, take notes. Exactly. And try to make the best out of every situation. Couldn't agree more. Well, before we get a fire round, I want to ask two last questions and then we'll wrap it up. So the first question is um, to do with distribution. Where are you currently distributed? So we currently sell mainly through Sephora. So um, they are exclusive partner wherever they are present. Um, So it's Sephora Middle East, Sephora in Europe, Sephora in North America, US and Canada, and then Asia Pacific as well. Um, it's only the UK where we have other partners because they just recently launched in the UK. So in the UK, we sell with Cult Beauty, Harrods, Selfridges, Boots, um, Phil, well, no, Phil Unique is now Sephora.com. Um, and then in the Netherlands, we're with um, Issy Perry XL. Um, we're also in H&M Beauty in Norway. Um, where else? We're in Arc Beauty in South Africa. Um so yeah, I think I've covered everything. And then of course, hoodabeauty.com. Hoodabeauty.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll put, I'll put the link on hoodabeauty.com too so people oh, can shop you. straight away while listening. And then the future, what's on the horizon that you can share? Is there a new launch soon, this oh. year, next year? Well, I mean, I think we talked to your team about sharing something. This is going to be, I think, released on the time it's going to be. So okay, I think you great. can share and then I'll keep my mouth shut. But grab it? Re- okay, one second. Let me go grab go it. Go for it. I'm excited. Okay, I'm nervous because, like, no one's really seen this except our team. Um, So we're launching a collection um, of four different fragrances, and it's actually all around the oud note. Um, So the collection is actually called Oudgasm. (laughs) So it's like... What a name. What a name, Oudgasm. (laughs) Thank you so much. So we have, like, our Eda Parfum. Sorry. That is beautiful. This is vanilla. Wow. And we also have, which I think you're going to be very excited because I think it's also very celebrated in Indian culture. We have oud. So we have the actual oud chips that you're wow. going to bring, which is a first for like a global. I've never brand. seen this. Like, yeah, I've never seen this in like a brand. Can you see it? Wow, that is genius. That is beautiful. So you have to burn it on a burner, whether it's like an electronic yeah. burner or on coal. 
but oh my God, it's such a beautiful experience. And like, to be honest, this is the collection that I'm like, I've never felt so passionate about anything in my entire life. And we were working on this since 2018. It just was the most challenging collection to work on from like a product development standpoint, but also compliance standpoint. So it's been five years in the making and I am so passionate about it because it's so true to our heritage, you know, like um, this is a fragrance ritual that I wish everyone could experience. So I'm nervous. I don't know how it's going to do. Like, if I'm honest, nobody, like the retailers, I'm not excited about it because they're like, Oud is so small. Like, stop putting so much effort. But I was like, this is one time where I have to be like, no. My gut no. is telling me, like, this is so special. It's interesting. People are going to love it. But again, you never know. So we'll find out. You never know. But <laughs> but I can tell you, my first organic, you saw my, my reaction. I wouldn't fake that. So I think this is going to be innovative, different. I also think from the K- like the Kali customers, like they will want this range, number one. So you already have your 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 tribe. But generally speaking, I think globally, um, I still haven't found my like oud brand go to. Do you like oud? I do like oud. I do. Okay, we're gonna yeah. send you the full collection. Oh my god, yes. I will be. I'll be, and I will, when it goes out, I'll promote the hell out of it because I'm so excited. So, Thank oh my god, it's so exciting. Well, I'm I'm telling everyone now, like go. Sw- Click on that little um, link below and buy it before it sells out because this is this could be big. Um, that's so exciting! <laughs> oh, I'm so so happy for you. And and I just also know the feeling of launching something that as a founder we get excited about. Like there are launches we do like it's going to be great. But there's launches where right. we're like this is the one. I can't wait to tell everyone right. about. Gift it to everyone. Go out. Yeah. That I know that feeling. I know that feeling. And especially when you go through so much hell for a project. Yes. Like it means so much to you. So I'm I mean, either like completely embarrassed because I was wrong because I, you don't know how many fights I've gotten into for this. Collection. I can imagine. This is like nonstop fighting for like almost five years now. Like, no, I mean, no, no. recently they're like, they have more trust because they've seen some things work, but you know, the first few years people were like, nope, nope, not doing it. Like absolutely mm. not and devastated. But, um, you know, I hope it does work out and I hope it can be like, yes, <laughs> You have to believe in me more, but um, you never know. We'll see. Even if it doesn't, I'm still happy. You know, something different. Best attitude. Yeah. I, I said, but you know, but you know, you're, you're we're smart cookies. We'll we'll make it work. It'll be fine. It'll be, it will do well. I think ultimately, like, um, I think a lot of people. It's good to have doubt sometimes because it just fuels us a bit more as founders. You know. Yeah. Um, so you're I. Exactly. You got to. You got to deal with that. Um, so, fire round questions, Namona. But I have a desert island first. So, you're invited to a desert island, but I'm being not me. TSA, airport security is being really strict, and they're saying, Mona, you can only bring one fragrance. What is your go-to right now? That's available. So, imagine not the wood range. Because it's an island, I would definitely take Utopia Vanilla Cocoa, like the one that you it. showed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that to me that's like beachy holiday scent. It's just, it's amazing. It's um, oh, I love it. It's so. It reminds me of like everything from like a bit of India to the coconut. Like it's just so beautiful, vanilla. Thank it's, you. Yeah, it's. Uh, you should be so proud. Okay, so four questions, fire round. I'm going to leave it to you. Leave it to your day. First question: What's another beauty brand that you're currently loving right now? Okay. Oh my god, I'm like getting anxiety even thinking about yeah. it because I'm in my perfume basement right now. Like, if you want to see, it's like. The amount of perfumes I have. <laughs> what? Wait. 
Oh, oh my god, I'm coming next time. I need to come see that. That like, is like my dream. It's like it's like insane. It's like 360. But I'm I love I'm a lover of other people's products and brands. Like I truly admire them. Like look up to them, and uh, to me, their art. So, oh my god, if I had to pick one, I want to pick a more indie brand. Um, so I'd probably say Christopher Collins fragrances. I don't know if you've mm. tried them before. I haven't. I'll They're check it really out. Beautiful, uh-huh. Very luxurious, um, super high quality. So yeah, I'd probably say his brand Chris is. Collins. Oh, beautiful packaging too. Great. He's a former, former model um, who oh, fell yeah. in love with fragrances after he met Killian and they became yeah. good friends and um, he kind of mentored him to start his own brand. And he's also like a super nice person too. So yeah, I, I feel like every time I meet a founder who's really, really kind and passionate, like I fall in love with their brand. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I was <laughs> I was on a podcast yesterday and we were talking about uh, two brands and I was like, but to be fair, I don't know if I love the, I love the brand so much, but I don't know if also part of that love is because I love the founders. They can do anything and I'll still love it. So this is like the reality of when you love the founder, you love the brand. It's really I feel brand. like, cause like, cause for us, especially like as founders, I feel like you realize like every product is a part of your soul. <laughs> like yeah. it's like literally a part of you. So like now I value people's products even more. Cause I'm like, this is a part of them. Like they literally, yeah, yeah. The creation process, it's like what, you know, it's, it's so, it's so emotional and there's so much meaning behind it. So yeah. Yeah. There has to be some form of, yeah, connection deeper than, yeah, Yeah. what you just see. Um, my next question is what or where is your happy place? I would say it's my perfume library. Yeah. Like where you are now. (laughs) I love it so much. Or being on a beach with like a pen and paper. I love writing and journaling and I love just being in the middle of nature, like the beach the beach, preferably like where there's water. I love just seeing water and, and writing my heart, like just sharing my feels. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, my next question is what is your hidden or maybe not so hidden talent? I don't know. I don't think I'm, <laughs> I'm not that talented. Or, or hobby or hobby. Something like you're like, I love doing. Yeah. I have so many hobbies. Uh, yeah. Does Pinterest count? Like I'm obsessed yeah. with that's that counts like I just pin all the time whenever I have time I find it so inspiring like I find it the most energizing form of social media because you know like with Instagram and like some platforms it either can be draining or it can even be flat you know yeah but with Pinterest I feel like because there's so much and like you start pinning a board that you you find inspiring like it juices me up so yeah I feel you like to pin well if you're ever in Toronto anytime soon. Uh, this is a, the Pinterest Canada office, but um, the, I'm sure the Pinterest US office is great too. Um, the Canada office in Pinterest is one of the best offices I've been to. I just went there recently. Hey, I have a friend I'm who works there. I'm actually going in September. I'll connect you to Michelle. She's like the main person in Pinterest doing all the cr- content creator stuff. And um, she gave me a tour of their office. They have like no, I'm not going to say too much because you're going to see it. But they have like a games area and they have like a ping pong meeting. Like it's just the coolest office every and it's all about creativity right um so and my very last question Mona is if you weren't in the beauty industry or a beauty entrepreneur what would Mona be doing right now I would be a therapist for sure oh amazing yeah I actually plan on becoming one in the future yeah like I love making people feel good and I think that you know um that's partially of why I'm doing fragrances right now 
But I think just as a person, you evolve. And as I search for more meaning continuously, it's like, I feel like that would give me even more gratification. It's just like helping people heal. So um, yeah, I would definitely say that will be the next chapter. So whenever that would yeah like, i don't know oh, I love 10 that. years from now you never know, know. <laughs> you never know but i love that fact that it's in the it's it's in your um vision you know that's just so beautiful well mona it's been such an honor and pleasure speaking to you but for everyone who wants to continue following your journey and the brand what are all like the handles for you and kayali um at mona katan for me and uh, at kayali for for kayali as well i'll put the links as well in the bio so very easy to tap and everyone go support the new launch of ud which will be released already by this time this has um, gone out in the all the different channels so uh, yeah please make sure you support um, Kayali and Mona and you will not be disappointed because trust me it looks really like a winner thank you so much for having me it was so good meeting you hope you enjoyed this episode of founded beauty as much as i had making it and if you did please share it with a friend who you think will love it too founded beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music Podcasts, the acast app and many more and i'm also very proud to be part of the acast creator network so be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop we really appreciate every single follow listen share and review it truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.